what I'd like to explore today is thinking about how spiritual practices and healing practices can actually benefit um, our communities. Because when you think about it, what we do affects the people around us. Who we are being has a ripple effect in the world. Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Hello, loves. Welcome to another episode of Vinyasa in Verse. How are you on this beautiful day? I hope wherever you are, you're able to take a moment here to really enjoy some quiet, a deep breath, and finding beauty within, knowing that you are beauty made manifest. So it is Easter week. Uh, The time of this recording, Easter has already happened, and the time of publishing this particular episode, we are in... Easter week celebrating in the Christian faith the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, And I'm not necessarily going to talk about religion this particular episode, but I do want to acknowledge that for me this is a week of celebration in the sense of rebirth, in the sense of new beginnings, in the sense of light coming into the world uh, and to provide us with some promise of healing and of goodness. To start our episode, I am turning to the great Sufi mystic poet Hafez to kick us off. So for today's poem, we are going to land on the quintessence of loneliness. The quintessence of loneliness. I am like a heroin addict in my longing for a sublime state, for that ground of conscious nothing where the rose ever blooms. Oh, the friend has done me a great favor and has so thoroughly ruined my life. What else would you expect seeing God would do? Out of the ashes of this broken frame, there is a noble rising sun pining for death, because since we first met, beloved, I have become a foreigner to every world except that one in which there is only you or me. Now that the heart has held that which can never be touched, my subsistence is a blessed desolation. And from that I cry for more loneliness. I am lonely. I am so lonely, dear beloved. For the quintessence of loneliness, for what is more alone than God. Hafez, what is more pure and alone, magnificently sovereign than God? Hmm. What I'm thinking about in this poem is the idea of loneliness, because I thought initially loneliness was going to be something sad and something, you know, isolating and depressing and desolate, but it actually turns out to be something what I akin to the Buddhist concept of emptiness. Um, in the in the Buddhist tradition, emptiness is is seen as not a negative thing, you know, not this uh, void of feeling or void of, Um, experience, but rather you are an empty vessel into which experience is poured into, you know, um, into which you can receive the teachings and the, the experiences of this life that you're living. So Hafez is, is talking about, you know, making contact with God, with the divine. And once you make that contact, once you know and feel what it is 
to experience the divine, to experience divine love, then it spoils it for you. I'm sorry to say, you know, it kind of sucks that you're like, oh, wait, there was this really blissful, most magnificent experience. And now I want more of it, which is like the heroin addict that Hafez refers to. I want more of it, but I can't get it. Um, you know, for whatever reason, part of it could be because you're a human being having a human experience and accessing the divine isn't as readily available as you would like for some. I mean, for others, maybe it is. But in Hafez's poem, it's not. And so he's talking about this longing for connecting with the divine, um, for that state of sublime experience. And he refers to the conscious nothing where the rose ever blooms. And it's this, this emptiness, you know, that I refer to from the Buddhist tradition, this expansive way of being that allows for the rose to bloom without needing anything. It just is. And so as we move through this poem, Hafez is talking about how this spoiling of, of us in now understanding and feeling and experiencing the divine um, gives us something to strive for, gives us something to long for, to work towards in this human life. Um, you know, he cries for more loneliness. So he actually is crying for the divine. He's looking for ways to empty himself of material attachment, of material desire for, you know, wealth, for example, or for status or for, you know, um, certain associations. Um, because the only thing that matters is God, the divine. The only thing that matters is this connection with the higher self, with the higher infinite universe with connecting with our divine wisdom and Hafez says you know for what more alone what is more alone than God Hafez what is more pure and alone magnificently sovereign than God and so in that aloneness in that loneliness there is purity there is bliss and how much the heart desires that the desire the heart desires to be held by that kind of magnificence and so that's what we want to reach for at least according to this this poem in the context of this poem um you know that there is more than what we experience on a physical human level that there is, there is more than just this and that what we experience in this moment here in this human body is designed to help us evolve. It's, it's designed to help us move our souls into growth that helps us get closer to that divine existence, that divine connection. Um, and, you know, this, this kind of thing, this kind of talk is, is so, it feels esoteric. It feels sort of otherworldly. It feels disconnected from the very real happenings of this planet. Um, and so it's, it's funny for me to think about, you know, all this talk of accessing the divine and, and evolving your, your spirit so that you can grow and expand how does that connect with the very real experience of day-to-day -day life, the very real experience of what's going on in our culture, in our society, even today? You know, the past several weeks, we've seen a lot of media coverage um, on violence against Asian American Pacific Islander bodies, AAPI communities. 
And how does this real violence connect or even relate to or even matter to social, um, sorry, spiritual practices? You know, it's interesting because I often think, okay, you know, I'm saying all these things, all these, these sort of spiritual teachings, how does that relate to the very physical experience of a 65-year-old Filipina getting beat down and kicked in the head and, and really just all of this hate foisted on her? You know, how does, how does my spiritual practice help her? How does my own healing help her? How does it help my community? How does it help anybody? You know, and that's a question that a lot of people are asking, you know, it's like, why heal myself? How can I heal myself? How does that help anybody out in the world? I don't physically see anything actually happening. You know, I mean, yes, I can donate money to these organizations that are doing some tremendous work on the on the ground you know they're creating awareness they've got uh, workshops for self-defense they've got um, you know services what they call um, walking services where they they provide somebody with you if you want to walk so um, that you are accompanied and in in less danger Um, and you know they're providing services to bring groceries to the elderly who are more often than not, the target of these racial hate attacks, which, you know, to me is, is ridiculously cowardly. Um, you know, if you, if you hate Asian Americans so much so that you want to enact violence on them, then, you know, own it and take it out on people who are more active. Don't be going for the elderly. You know, what did they ever do to you? But again, you know, this is this is my human self responding to human behaviors. Of course, there's the higher self of me that would respond in a different way. But I'm trying to explore and think about the very real seeming disconnect between the spiritual practices and the real groundwork. And they're not they're not separate. It doesn't seem like they're connected because Often the teachings are shared by folks who seem detached from the very real experience of racism. Um, And so what I'd like to explore today is thinking about how spiritual practices and healing practices can actually benefit um, our communities. Because when you think about it, what we do affects the people around us. Who we are being has a ripple effect in the world. Now, most folks are familiar with what's called the butterfly effect. Um, And if you're not just, you know, the, the basic idea is that when a butterfly flaps its wings, it creates a current in the air. And that current is a ripple effect that travels the globe and affects the ecosystem in ways that seem invisible. But upon taking a closer look, you'll see that these ripple effects have a really massive impact on our ecosystem. Without butterflies, who knows where we'd be, right? But from the source of that ripple effect, if you look at the butterfly, It's very delicate, right? And the flap of those wings, those delicate wings, seems minuscule, seems so small and and tiny and just like this sort of like, oh, how cute kind of thing. But when you really look at it, there is a larger effect. So when it comes to who we're being, that definitely has a ripple effect. It definitely helps to think about, all right, if I heal myself, what, how does that help people? So for example, um, think about the people that you follow. And when I say follow, I mean, it could mean Instagram, it could be, you know, social media, but it could also be just people who you 
watch in terms of, you know, books that you read by them or how they respond to certain situations. You know, think about those folks that you look up to, those role models you have, those people who inspire you, right? Do they know what kind of effect they have on you? Probably not. They might have a general idea, especially if they're a sort of celebrity status, you know, like Brene Brown or something or Oprah. You know, they, they probably have a general idea of how they're affecting the people who are listening to them. But maybe they didn't know that back when they were starting out. You know, um, think about that. Think about how when you are watching somebody, let's say Oprah, you're watching Oprah and you see what she's done with her life. You see what kind of person she is when she interviews her guests, you know, how she's being. That is what is inspiring. And so what happens is that you then feel moved to emulate some of the characteristics that she has or the ways in which she talks to people. You want to be like her. You want to better yourself so that you can be like her because there's something about her that you want to emulate. And so who's to say that there isn't somebody in your life who sees you as that person they want to emulate, as the example they want to be, right? We don't know how we affect people. I mean, think about that classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life, right? And for those of you who haven't seen it, you know, it took me a long time to see it because I was very averse to black and white movies and, you know, it just wasn't relatable, whatever. Um, and then eventually I saw it as, a, as a, an adult, and I said, oh, okay, that's what this is about. And what happens in this movie is the main character, whose name I totally have forgotten, um, you know, he makes this wish that he had never been born or something to that effect. It's been a while since I've seen it. I only saw it once, I think, or twice, maybe. Um, but the idea is he got to see what his life would have been like without him in it, to see how people developed how his kids developed without him in it and by seeing his life without him in it he was able to understand the ripple effect he had on people how much he mattered to the people in his life even though they didn't say that so imagine what your life might be like if you were absent from it you know or if you didn't make a certain choice we don't even have to go to the extreme of being absent from it. Maybe you didn't make a certain choice. You know, maybe you made a different choice. Think about that ripple effect, not in terms of regret. I don't, I don't want to encourage any sort of regretting sentiment. This is not about, oh, if I only had done this, oh, if I only had done that. It's not about living in the past and regretting your choices. This is an exercise in paying attention to how you affect other people, whether they're aware of it or not, you know. So, for example, um, maybe let well, I'll use the example of you know my kids. Um, for the most part, I I have brought them up to eat healthy. Um, you know, when I say healthy, it's it's not like vegetarian, you know, farm to table kind of living. It's more balanced meals, you know, every once in a while we'll have some treats, you know, relatively reasonable. Now, my oldest loves vegetables. You know, when she was a baby, I was very big on healthy eating, uh, making sure that my kids practiced healthy eating. So I introduced her to vegetables and she loves them. You know, that's her go-to snack. Now, what if I had decided that Ritz crackers instead were the go-to snack. Her life would be a little bit different, you know? And what's funny is that actually for my second, she, her go-to snack is Ritz crackers. You know, it wasn't, I don't know if that was a, a choice on my part, you know, it's like, okay, you can have crackers. I'm tired of being like the healthy mom or whatever. But um, to think about that ripple effect, right? 
And, and so I'm thinking just to kind of circle back to the idea of healing yourself. You know, I have been doing a lot of healing work on my own traumas, you know, my traumas from uh, sexual violence, uh, traumas from racism, from sexism, generational trauma, ancestral trauma, um, all kinds of levels of trauma, you know, little T and big T, you know, micro and macro. And what I'm noticing as I'm doing this healing work is that the people who are coming into my circulation, into my sphere, we'll say, are reflective of the healing work that I've done. Or they are people who are ready to embark on their own healing journey. And they found their way into my orbit because they too want to do what I did. And so in doing your own healing work, people notice, people see what you're doing. And you also send out, you know, a vibration. And vibrational speaking, vibrationally speaking, like attracts like. So as you are sending out these vibrational frequencies of healing and of light, there are folks that are going to come into your circle that are going to be attracted to your orbit that you didn't even know were there. You know, you didn't know these, these people were out there. It's hard to know who's out there, especially when we're living in a world of technological, technological living, you know, digital living, virtual living. You know, with pandemic times, a lot of us are virtual. A lot of us are connecting with folks virtually and so create this bubble. And we forget that we're in a bubble because it's hard to really assess what's out there beyond our bubble. You know, I mean, there's how many billion people on this planet? How do you know that you're reaching that many people? You're not. You're not reaching that many people. You're reaching people who are at your frequency, we'll say. And so as you continue to do your own personal healing work, what will come into your circle are people who are ready to learn from you, but you'll also come into, um, you'll also attract teachers who are there to guide you to the next level, to guide you into deeper healing. Now I'm specifically talking about healing, but this is true of any way of being. You know, you can you can talk about, um, we'll say, uh, political activism, for example. You know, I um, I've always been an activist, and I want to say that maybe my most active activism was in the early two thousands, uh, and then you know over the years I've been active as an activist, but not in a proactive way, we'll say. I don't know how to explain it. Like I wasn't going out protesting. I mean, a few times I, I did, you know, ever since the election of 2016, but it was more activism through um, donations, through talking with people, but I wasn't really part of organizing or um, protesting or any, any sort of that stuff that I used to do. And then lately, I have renewed my engagement with political activism because as I've done this healing work, I have felt more resilient in my nervous system to engage in things that feel activating, in things that might have re-traumatized me. And so there's that ripple effect again. You know, as I continue to heal as an individual, I am now able, I'm now able to be more active in fighting for social justice in a way that feels secure, that feels safe, that feels stronger. I feel more effective in what I'm doing. And it's just me. You know, I'm not looking to quote unquote convert people. I'm not looking to say, hey, you guys have to do it this way. You have to do X, Y, Z, you know, and then do this, do this, do this. 
I mean, I can do that if people ask me to, you know, if they want to learn from what I've learned, then yes, I'm willing to share that. But I'm not going out and bossing people around and saying, you know, you're doing it wrong, or this is the only way to do it, or this is the right way to do it, whatever it is. Um, what I'm doing is that I'm working on myself at the individual level and taking my growth and using it in ways that I feel called to use it. You know, I feel called to be more politically active, to be more vocal, you know, for all the things that are happening in my AAPI community. You know, I can't stand by and just watch it all happen. And I know everyone has a different response to what's been going on, but just in general, to to adversity, to challenges, to violence, everyone has their own individual way of responding. And I honor that. For me, I feel compelled to bring more awareness in pulling back the curtain on some of the things that I've experienced so that more awareness can be made and that people can then use that awareness to really incite change. You know, I, I've been writing my Monday Mavericks. For those of you that don't know, every Monday I re- write a story uh, from my healing journey. And my reason for doing that is to show folks that they're not the only one. You know, my story is my story, yes, but there are similarities. We are all human and we have similar ways of experiencing the world. How we respond might be different, but for the most part, there are resonances that can be found. And I know that when it comes to experiencing trauma or hurt or suffering of any kind, we often feel alone, we often feel isolated. And that really puts a damper on the healing process. Um, we feel like that's it, this is the only way. This We're stuck with this experience. We're stuck in suffering, we're stuck in trauma, and this is the only way. But if someone were to share a story that you come across that echoes what you've experienced and you're like oh my god I'm not the only one someone else has gone through something similar someone else knows how I feel and look what they've done look at the choices that they've made I'm not stuck in this suffering so that's what I hope to do with these Maverick Mondays right these stories that I share are ways for me to say, hey, you too can heal. You don't have to suffer. You can actually share your story without re-traumatizing yourself. You can actually move forward and thrive in a life that you thought was reserved for somebody else. Anything is possible. And so in uh, these Maverick Mondays, I've been really diving into um, my experiences as a woman of color, specifically as a Filipina, as the oldest daughter of immigrants. And what I've been noticing is that a lot of people who read it have no idea that this goes on. And when I say a lot of people, it's a lot of white people. They have no idea this goes on. Now, my fellow AAPI sisters know exactly what happens. They're all nodding, saying, yes, me too. Yes, this totally has happened to me. I know exactly what this is. And so there's two things happening in my sharing. One people in my community are seen and heard. They feel like they matter. They feel like they exist. They feel like, yes, I'm not making it up. 
they feel like, wow, I thought I was alone in this. I thought I was isolated. I thought I was going crazy that I, I was making it up. Sharing my stories is a kind of validation. So that's one. The second is to create awareness for my white community, my white friends, the people who follow me. And when I write my stories, my intended reader, you know, when, when writers write, we usually have a specific person in mind, right? When I write my stories, it is not for the white community. It's for my community. But what I find useful is that my stories can also help the white community see the bigger picture, see what's going on beyond what they see. Because what they see is very limited, you know? White supremacy has this magical way of rendering Asian American Pacific Islanders invisible. And so by sharing my stories, I insist on being visible. I insist on being heard and being seen. And when I do that, then I can draw that curtain back and say, hey, white folks, white community, white friends, allies, this happens to me on a regular basis. This happens to me on a regular basis. And so what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Because now that you know, now that you have awareness, you can't pretend that you don't know. Because then that makes it worse to know something and then to look away from it, to pretend like it's not actually there is actually worse than just plain old ignorance, right? So what are you going to do about it now that you know about it? What can you do about it? And so, you know, I've had a few white friends reach out and they're like, oh my God, this is terrible. I can't, I can't believe that this stuff happens. You know, it's not just my stories. It's, it's the stories of the, of the six Asian women who were killed in Atlanta. It's the story of the 65 year old Filipina who was attacked on her way to mass in Midtown Manhattan in broad daylight while building security looked on did nothing and when it was over closed the glass door on her on her bleeding body yes how terrible this happens all the time and so white folks reaching out to me white women are reaching out to me saying what can I do you know what what can I do and so my answer is speak out call out racism call out that uncle who likes to make racist jokes at the Thanksgiving table call out the men in your life who view Filipinas as commodities that you can get for a dollar you should read Monday Maverick from this week because I talk about how Filipinas are viewed by US military are viewed as disposable commodities. Just these little I'm not going to use it on the on the podcast because it's it's vulgar and it's offensive, but you can look up L B F M. Those four letters stand for an offensive term for Filipina women who were bought by um, military, US military. And it's not even, yeah, there's a whole thing about Asian sexual fetishization and the sex work industry and all this other stuff. There's so many layers that need to be unpacked. But what I'm getting at is to understand that white folks need to call people out on racism. It's not necessarily going to change people's minds, right? Because we can't change people's minds. Each individual has to change their own mind. 
what we can do is create awareness. And by creating awareness, then it's on that person to figure out what to do with that information. If they want to ignore that information, that's on them. That's their responsibility. But now that they're aware, then it makes it a little harder to opt out of responsibility, right? So go read Monday Maverick, <laughs> you know, and, and really understand that who I am being is a person who is healing, who lives in a brown female body as a spirit soul, having a human experience, working through the traumas that this human has gone through. And in doing that, in healing that as an individual, then my ripples start to go out into the world. You know, I've gotten a few messages from people um, since I've been sharing these these stories that um, it helps them feel a little bit stronger to do the healing work. It helps them feel just a little bit more empowered. It helps them to realize that there is a possibility for them to actually share their story without losing it. But if they lose it, that that's okay. You know, my stories are, are giving them the message that they're not broken, that anything is possible, that success beyond our wildest dreams, whatever success looks like for you, it doesn't mean money, doesn't mean wealth. Success could just be being able to live as who you truly wholly are without fear. That kind of success is possible. And for people to see that, for people to see that there is possibility beyond our vision, our literal vision, but also the visions that have been given to us, for us to see beyond that is the gift of being who you are. Because we can't possibly know the infinite possibilities of our lives beyond what we know. We don't know what we don't know, right? But when we start to see other people doing things differently, you're like, oh, that's possible? That's really cool. I mean, just to bring it back to Oprah, right? A black woman who would have ever thought in this country built on white supremacy who would have ever thought a black woman would be so successful as Oprah Winfrey? And when I say success, I mean all across the board, not just wealth, you know, not just financial wealth. She's got that, you know, but spiritual wealth, you know, heart, emotional wealth. She's got so much wealth. And for other women of color to see that, that gives us possibility. When we can see that that can happen, then we get excited. And we say, oh my God, it's possible for her, it's possible for me. Now, there's one caveat to that sentence. Not everyone will see Oprah's success as possible for them, right? Not everyone will say, if that's possible for her, that's possible for me. There are a lot of folks who will see that and say, oh, well, that was just her hard work. That was just, you know, she, she got a break. You know, that was her good luck, her good karma, whatever it is. That kind of thinking is an opting out. That kind of thinking reflects the, the deep level of inner work one needs to do because that is speaking from a place of no self-worth, that they, that person maybe doesn't deserve that kind of success or that possibility. Oh, that was, that, that works for her. It doesn't work for me, you know, because I was, I was dealt these particular cards. And so um, that's what I'm stuck with. No, that's a limiting belief. And so when we can recognize that limiting belief, we, we say, hey, okay, here's a, here's a signpost. It says, ooh, we need some inner work to do. We need to work on that worth thing. You know, because as, as a lot of my teachers tell me, 
you know, and I've come to adopt this because it's, it feels true to me. The desires of your heart were put there right from birth and they are your divine right to, to have. And when I say that, I don't mean like, you know, when you were born, you're like, Hey, I want a Tesla. Yeah, that's totally what I want. You know, it could be that like, if you wanted a Tesla, cool. That's the desire that was put in your heart. And yeah, go get it. You know, for me, I actually am like Tesla. I don't see what the big deal is. Right. But if you were to say, um, you're going to give me, you know, first class tickets to the Philippines, I'd be like, oh my God, yes, let's go. Cause I want to be there. I want to, you know, meet some family that I haven't seen in a while. I want to, you know, dig into my ancestral roots, whatever it is. You want to go, you want to go to the beach? Yes. I'm up for the beach. You want to buy me a Tesla? Mm, yeah, no, yeah, that, you can keep it. You know, I mean, we're going to talk about material things. And, and so the material things that we want as individuals is varied, you know, but if we can think about how those desires in us point us towards our Dharma, towards, you know, our purpose in life, then you're in pretty good shape. You got a little map, you follow your heart. You know, everyone talks about following your heart and they, they have this sort of stipulation like follow your heart and your passion wherever it goes but if it involves material things then maybe that's not where you want to go you know so I mean I'm sort of digressing but it's thinking about how spirituality spirituality is not a single thing it doesn't exist on its own it is very much connected and tied in with the very physical existence that we have, whether it's activism, right? Whether it's, you know, these a desire for material things. You know, being materialistic and desiring material things are two different things. There's a distinction there. Being materialistic is finding value, uh, your own self-worth in ownership of things, right? That's materialism. It's like, if I owned a Tesla, then I am totally like wealthy. I'm the it. I am, I'm worthy. No, it's the other way around. You know that you are worthy. You know that you have value. And in your heart's desire, for whatever reason it is that we can't explain, you want a Tesla. It makes you feel alive for whatever reason personally doesn't make me feel alive um not knocking it but what i'm saying is to not think of spirituality as mutually exclusive from the very physical experience of being a human the desires that were put in your heart you know like i desire peanut butter like you don't even know don't know why not sure how peanut butter is part of my path, but it is, you know, and I, I make light of it, but I'm also serious. But other people are like, oh, peanut butter. Ugh, no, it gets stuck on the roof of your tongue. It's sticky. Like, oh, I don't want that. Or I'm totally allergic to that. No, I don't want that. But that desire for peanut butter was put in my heart. You know, I've always loved peanut butter. I don't know where that desire that, you know, for it came from, but I'm going to follow it, you know. And so I make peanut butter cookies, you know, I eat peanut butter ice cream. I love it. I mean, it makes me feel good. Of course, moderation, you know, because I got to take care of this body. But to really think about the desires of your heart, right? What are the desires of your heart? Like truly the desires of your heart. And maybe this is for another podcast episode. Maybe this is for, you know, some special Instagram live thing. But thinking about money as a tool because people might be like oh I desire money but money's not really the desire money is something that helps you get the thing that you want right like I want to go to the Philippines but I need money to get on the plane to get there someone wants a Tesla they need the money to go buy the Tesla right but the money itself it's like paper it just hangs out there it's there but money is the, is the thing that gets you the thing you want. Does that make sense? 
I hope so. I use thing a lot. Not very articulate for a poet, is it? <laughs> but anyway, um, I want that to be something that you take away from this episode. Thinking about how your spiritual practices are not separate from your very physical experience of being on this planet. How your political activism or inactivism, depending on where you stand, is not separate from your spiritual growth, your spiritual development, your expansion, your evolution. It's not. It's all linked. It's all connected. And how the desires of your heart are a good compass for what your path is on this planet. It's a good compass. Now, what might be fun, just, you know, just to see, take a uh, piece of paper and a notebook or something and just write a laundry list of all of your desires. Just go, you know, go crazy, go nuts. Write all your desires out. And it could be something small, something big, like all the things, though, big and small. Like, I'm going to write down peanut butter on there, you know, but I'm also going to write trip to the Philippines or trip to the Amalfi Coast. I love water. I love the beaches. You know, what else do I desire? I want a house on the water, you know, on the beach somewhere. I don't know where yet, but that's where I'm called to live by the water. So just for fun, make a list of that, all your desires, and then see what emerges and ask yourself, okay, does this help me think about my path? Does this provide some kind of map or guidance or compass to the direction of my life, to this path of healing and evolution? And if it does, very cool. If it doesn't, that's okay. But now you have a reference point of where you are and who you are and how you're being. And it always starts with awareness. So start there and see what happens. And if you want, you can reach out to me, shoot me an email, lesliean at suryagian.com. And let's start a conversation, you know, see what happens. All right, my loves. So to close the episode, I have um, pulled out the anthology, The World I Leave You, Asian American Poets on Faith and Spirit. And I have a feeling I'll be turning to this anthology um, over the next few weeks because I feel very drawn to calling on faith and spirit as attention on anti-Asian hate starts to diminish. You know, the news cycle is already on something else until the next attack, right? And so I want to continue to bring awareness, to keep the dialogue going, to keep the focus on trying to eliminate hate, to think about faith and spirit and love. And one way to do that is to share our stories, to humanize who we are, because, you know, white supremacy renders us as inhuman, as invisible. And so we must fight against that. We must insist on our humanity and on our stories. So I'm pulling from The World I Leave You to close this episode. And today's poem, I just kind of flipped open to it. Um, this is called To My Many Mothers, Issei and Nisei. And this is by the poet Mia Ayumi Malhotra. To my many mothers, Issei and Nisei. Praise be to beef liver stew, to gravy biscuits and home-baked bread, to women in work pants and suspenders who worked like dogs in the packing shed up to elbows in rose clippings. You feed us well, O oh goddesses, of goulash and green beans, of Sunday dinners wrangled from the coop, oh, from the co-op sorry, for penny money and seamstressing praise, for parsnips and sweet potatoes, praise, even for the years lost to sharecropping and strawberries, hallelujah, 
You worked until the final hour, then rose three days later, baby squalling on your hip, back to breaking canes, clipping hooks, hustling the men through lunch hour. No breaks, boys. Hallelujah to Pond's cold cream, to curling rags and church bento socials. Praise to the nursery truck revving in the morning, the clank of steel pipes and boiler house rumble. All glory to the Berkeley streetcar and key route electric train, the smokestacks of Richmond and foggy peaks of San Francisco. And because they're what taught us to praise, glory to the roses run wild, the packing shed left to cobweb, praise to the crowded house, oh, praise to the crowded horse stalls and half-built barracks of Rower, Arkansas, dusty sheets and muffled nights of block 99C, 100, Sakai, Chu, 102, Sakai, Ruby, 103, Sakai, Kazooie. Oh, praise to the camp midwives, the Nisei girls shooting hoops and swatting birdies when their mothers weren't looking, and to the college-bound co-ed who crossed the country, camp release papers in hand. Hallelujah. Her truth marches on. Mm. So good. So powerful, that poem. All right, my friends. I'll give you a moment to digest that poem. And so we will close today's podcast as we always do. The divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, namaste. Healing trauma is different for everybody, but it's often overlooked when it comes to women of color. No one talks about healing from the insistent pain of racism and the perpetual trauma of having our nervous system under attack. So what does healing look like for us? And how can healing empower us to build resilience and thrive despite these oppressive circumstances? In my eight-week course, Heal to Power, I guide you through the challenges of healing from traumas, including the wounds of racism and sexism, in ways that work from the inside out. Step into your power now. Get on the wait list for when doors open again in May 2021. Go to suryagyan.com slash heal to power waitlist for more info. Because you are worth healing. Your best life starts now.